The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We're coming to you live from Salem, New Hampshire, right above Two Guys Smoke Shop, and we are going to be talking about rationalizing aggression today. Great. <laughs> Scott's super excited about the whole thing. You can thing. educate, I'll entertain. <laughs> All right. First, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. And, oh, before we even do that, we got our new uh, shirts. We got our new logos and our new shirts came in and our apparel came in and I love them. So we're wearing those also. The quirky tip today is, is that if you have aggression of any kind with your dog, and we unpacked this a few episodes ago. I don't know how much clarity we brought to the issue, but we talked about reactivity versus aggression. If you're seeing aggressive outbursts in any way, shape, or form, meaning growling, barking, lunging, biting, nipping, don't care what it is, something that you wouldn't call sweetness, start to keep a journal of that. Because what happens is so many people say like, oh, it started here, and then, oh, it escalated, and people can't really remember exactly what happened, and then they start thinking about different things. So if you're getting aggressive responses with your dog, you don't have to go back and document all the previous ones unless you can remember them. But start a journal today so you can just document those things, because it really helps professionals later on to be able to know like, oh, okay, this might have been a trigger. This might have been a trigger. Everything else. At least make a mental note. Well, sometimes the mental notes don't carry though. I think a lot of people do try to make mental notes or attempt to make mental notes. And even with that said... In my case, I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> yes, that's why I'm saying make a list. <laughs> though Scott has a lot of ability to make a list and not a lot of lists around what, the house. What's the topic again? Um, rationalizing aggression. I did want to speak though about um, even when you're describing these instances, I'm kind of to the point now as a professional, and I don't know where you stand. Well, I, Scott's to this point, too, because he was telling me, like, he doesn't even want people to, like, give the whole backstory of the dog before an eval. He wants to read the dog himself. But sometimes if you're not working in person with a trainer or something else and you're just describing things, maybe what you see isn't actually what's going on. And I'm not meaning to say you don't know your dog or you don't understand your dog, but even while you journal, you may be thinking it's this, it's this, it's this, it's a trigger, and then maybe a trainer shows up at your house and has a totally other perspective from it. So it's good just to have your side of your interpretation of things versus a professional and everything else. So if you well, have aggression, keep a journal. I would like to know if the dog has bit other people yes. before I get yes. there. Yes, yes, yes. Because a lot one. of people withhold that because they feel like, oh, maybe the trainer won't work with me if, if they know that the dog has bit people. Please tell the trainer <laughs> your dog has bit someone before the, the trainer gets in there and yeah, tries to start Scott working will with still your dog. Come. Or I guess, and this is kind of partially where this topic came from, not only will they like maybe be afraid and withhold it because they don't want to <clears throat> not have a professional work with them, but they may have had a bite, but they don't really think much of it. They say, like, this happened a few weeks ago. Scott had an eval, and I had heard some stuff about this dog, and then he had asked about the client, like, is there any aggression? There happened to have been one. So like, we need to just be forthcoming with it. And then if there are aggressive instances, that's a big deal to us. Well, for my safety, I'd like to know before I get involved, just, I mean, again, I am going to read the dog that's in front of me, but it's just nice to have some background as far as aggression issues with the yeah. particular dog. And Scott says it a lot, and it's true. For a dog to t take the leap to actually bite skin, Break um, the skin especially breaking the skin, like we're talking about more of a serious issue. And I don't know if this is going to be all-encompassing, but 
to me, unless the dog is like full on in a grand mal seizure and acted out because it didn't know what it was doing, or maybe it's having some like weird reaction from medicine and it's acting a little bit differently. To me, any other aggression that you see out of the dog shouldn't be rationalized. It doesn't mean that, you know, you have to get rid of this dog and it's a bad dog and, you know, you've done a terrible job with the dog and everything else, but we shouldn't be rationalizing aggression. And I feel like that's all anyone ever does when they talk about their dog doing something naughty. And I guess to define that a little more, it's when people say it wasn't the dog's fault. Yes. This happened, but it wasn't the dog's fault. And they're, that's, they're just kind of rationalizing why it happened uh, rather than accepting that it did happen and that it has to be handled in some way so that it doesn't continue to happen in the future. Yeah. No. And that's, that's a great point. It's like if you're on a diet, right? So you're on a diet and then say something stressful happens. I don't know. A lot of things can happen. A problem with yeah. a parent, you know, kids at school, something yeah. goes on with finances, something stressful happens. So then you, ate you a box go, of Twinkies. Yeah. You go off the diet that day, but then you say, well, like yesterday was a really stressful day. Like we're always able to justify our actions as humans. And we're even more so able, it seems to justify our animals actions. Or a lot of times you'll see it with your kids actions. Rarely do I I see spouses justifying each other's actions. They normally like to call each other out on that BS, but making excuses for things isn't necessarily productive in helping the issue at hand. So let's talk about some examples that we came up with. So one that you came up with was the, the falling. That was a good one. Oh yeah. So, I mean, I run into this fairly often. That's why uh, I just ran into it again, which made me think maybe we should discuss this topic I had a client who had grandchildren over for a family get-together, and the toddler was petting the dog, and then because it's a toddler, lost its balance and fell on the dog. And of course, and then the dog uh, got pissed and turned and snapped at the toddler and actually bit the kid. Mm -hmm. And the owner of the dog said, you know, it wasn't the dog's fault, the, the kid fell on the dog, and then the dog bit the kid. Well, there's always, you know, there's a million reasons why yeah. the dogs are biting. That just happened to be that issue. But uh, I would say, you know, be, and I would be proactive in that case, knowing, like, if I was going to have kids over at my house and I have a dog that's good with children, I'm still going to supervise the interaction. Yes. I'm going to be eagle-eyeing that kid. Yes. It's not my dog. Yeah, I'm, I don't want my dog to be, feel forced to do something yeah, or the naturally kids wouldn't stick do. in its finger yeah, they, in the eye and no one sees it. Right. So I would, I would supervise the interaction. And then I would, if the parent isn't capable of watching their child, and typically they're not, I would just put my dog away. Yeah. I'd have the, my dog out for a bit. And if I see that the dog is feeling a bit crowded... The dog is going to go in a crate or yeah. go in another room. Yeah, and we use this phrase a lot, but being an advocate for the dog in that kind of a situation is super important. And, you know, yes, I'm sure that the dog never would have snapped at the kid had the kid not tripped and landed on the dog or something. Maybe the dog's in pain, it's older. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The dog reacted towards the child and that situation yeah. wasn't managed properly. And there's no perfect dog. Uh, with the exception of mine. And I don't want anything to happen to my perfect dog. <laughs> so literally... I'm going to make sure... Dog was singular, not I'm going to make sure that my dog... 
uh, doesn't get put in a situation where that he feels compelled to do something like yes. that. Yes. Scott loves Jimmy. He's very protective of Jimmy. We're getting to the point now that like well, if we the, have to now podcast. The, now the Bam's gone. <laughs> if we have to podcast and I'm the passenger, it's almost like it's a little bit of a disappointment that I'm the one in the car besides Jimmy. But that's okay. We're going to work that on us. I that. have to explain it to him for 20 minutes before we leave why he's not coming. <laughs> He'll still bring him donut balls back. Um, okay. Another good one. This happens a lot and not even... So much with aggression. This is just like behavior in general. But especially if it's a rescue, oh, he was abused. He must have been abused. By a man with a hat. Yes. Or he was abused by a newspaper or a broom or something else. And this is not to underplay dogs who have been abused. Because I do understand that there are people out there that are still very um, heavily handed with dogs and very unfair with dogs, and they're not clear with their communication, and they're taking their anger out on their dogs, and they're doing shit that would probably turn my stomach upside down if I saw it. However, every single rescue was not abused. Well, the real, if you don't know the backstory. Yes, don't, don't make it up. Don't <laughs> start filling in the blanks yeah. because the dog is acting this way in this situation, therefore this must have happened and that must have happened. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. Deal with the dog in front of you and start getting good reps on a day-to-day basis moving forward. Yeah. And Make him into the dog that you want him or her to be. Exactly. And if it's, you know, the dog must have been abused by a man with a beard. If you fall madly in love with a man with a beard in, you know, the next two years, does that mean that that relationship can't progress? No. Like, we have to get these dogs, build them up, right? Give them confidence. A lot of these rescues have a lot of anxiety. They have a lot of fear. They have a lot of uh, uh, instability with the foundation that they were raised in, right? They didn't have a stable upbringing. So now it's your job to provide them with that stability. And if you're seeing reactivity and you're seeing all of this, rather than saying, oh, he's not used to this, oh, that and the other thing, don't justify it fix it. Like legitimately see it, journal it, and then find a way to fix it or at least minimize those repetitions. If the dog runs to the window barking 800 times a day, cover the window, like minimize the BS. We have like a zero reactivity policy with our dogs, our client dogs, everything else. Yeah. I was going to say, I want to back up because I said, you know, create the dog that you want to have. Um, quite often, you didn't get the dog that you wanted to have. This dog isn't like the dog you had when you were a child, you know, especially with rescues. You know, if you don't raise a dog from puppyhood, you don't have a hand in those developmental months in those first couple of years to create the type of dog you're hoping to have as an adult. So sometimes you're never going to have the the dog that you hoped that you were going to get, but you want to make the most of the dog you have and the relationship with that dog. So just like the podcast is named The Quirky Dog. There, you know, dogs have quirks. There are yeah. some things about them that are a little odd. They can have fear of noises, this, that, and the other thing. Just get to know your dog. And if you know that your dog has a fear of, like my dog has an issue with tractor-trailer trucks and the air brakes. You know, that stuff just kind of cuts him deep when he hears these air brakes. But I know that about him. So if I see a tractor-trailer truck coming up and we're in that vicinity... I, I start asserting myself and really putting some control on him so that his fear doesn't overtake him. And all of a sudden he's getting more and more stressed out, yeah. you know? Yeah. And even to take that a step farther, it might not just be a rescue. Like you may have gotten a dog. You've always wanted these genetics. You've always wanted this breed. Like you've waited X amount of years for this puppy. You get the dog and you're like, shit, like 
this isn't quite what I thought. And it might not even be a training issue. Like it's a fundamental issue with you and the dog. And sometimes rehoming. genetics of Yes. The dog. And sometimes rehoming is fine. But I also want to say that sometimes the dog you get is because that's the dog that's meant to be on your journey, right? Like you're meant to evolve as a person or as a trainer or whatever because of the dog that came into your life. Because there is no perfect dog. There is no unicorn. And like Scott's saying, yes, often with rescues, we can't shape those first few months and get all the foundation on them we want. Even if you did everything you wanted and you still don't have what you're looking at, then that's okay. Like maybe that was meant to be. Grow, grow. Let's get back to the rationalizing or the um, aggression. So here's another example. Um, the dog, um, if they go to get the dog's attention, if the dog is sleeping on the couch, the dog will wake up aggressively and mm-hmm. snap at yes. them. Yes. That kind of thing. Yes. If they go to and they'll wake say, the "Well, dog the dog bed. was sleeping." I mean, I'm not. Yes. You know that they're saying, "Well, it's because the dog was asleep, and the, and that's why the dog is doing it." Yeah. It's I not normal to come out of sleep with aggression. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I used to, <laughs> but that, I had a drug issue at the time. Well, seriously, though, I mean, humans (laughs) shouldn't be doing that. Dogs shouldn't be doing that. That is not a normal response, right? I don't, even if you're startled, the first go-to shouldn't be using your teeth or growling or biting. And what we always say, and we've done this podcast in the past about dogs on furniture, if you are seeing aggression in those certain circumstances, dogs don't go on the couch. Dogs don't go on the bed. Then maybe they wear a leash. Like you're not allowing those rehearsals. Or if the dog likes to go to sleep at seven and you wake him up to go to bed at 10, put him in the crate. It's seven for the night. You know what I mean? But that is a common one. Like, do you see any aggression with the dog? Is he okay? Oh, no. He's the sweetest dog ever. He lets anybody do whatever he wants. Oh, well, when we wake him up to go to bed, sometimes he's a little cranky. Like, they'll, like, even put it like that. Okay, well, what does cranky look like? Oh, well, he could rumble or... My, my husband got six stitches. Yeah, no, seriously. Like, yeah. this is the thing. And, like, people... and. Cranky, to me, does not equate a hospital visit leaving with stitches. Like, that's a little more than cranky. All right, let's go to break super quick, and then we'll talk about a few more examples. Does your dog lack self-control? Are you looking for some answers? Would you like your dog to be calmer? Does your dog lack confidence? Canine Mind Shift. Enroll in a free course today. Simply go to caninemindshift.com. That's caninemindshift.com. I kind of like that better. It's more festive. <laughs> what? What was? He doesn't realize that there's not normally music playing. Normally, we just come back. There's no music there. Okay. So, moving forward. Um, one other example that we came up with, which is a common one, is something having to do with resource guarding, right? Like, is the dog aggressive? Has it ever shown any aggression? No. Perfect dog. Great. But one time my daughter took a pizza away from him and he bit. Or, well, he had his bone. He had his favorite toy. It's always, uh, or, yeah, it's not even justifying all the toys. It's his one toy. Well, it was his special, you know, toy that he's had since he was a puppy. So resource guarding is still aggression. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. Again, I wouldn't just uh, rationalize it and say this is it's okay because this is what happened. I would um, again make a note of it and then work on trying to improve that or to remove those triggers. If yes. I, if my dog had a, a toy that he was so obsessed with that he started grumbling as I walked by him, 
that toy would be in the trash. Yeah. He would never see that toy again. Yeah. That's the way I'd fix it. I wouldn't get in there and start saying, okay, well, I'm taking it away, and then I'm, I'm going to make you deal with this, and I'm going to give it back and maybe possibly create more conflict. Uh, I, would, um, I would just remove the toy. It's yeah. like, you're friggin' done with that one. Yeah, and like with that said, we're not throwing toys out in our house, right? Because we have protocols for all of these things. Cousteau came to us at nine weeks old. He resource guarded his bowl. When I went to move his bowl, I was sitting there. He resource guarded his bowl. If you want to be like, oh my God, that's a terrible dog. That's what I da, da, da. No, genetically, he came with resource guarding. He is a strong Malinois. So when he's eating his food, I'm not climbing in his crate. Does that mean that I cannot feed him? I can't stand there. I can't fix his water. I can't do all this other stuff. No, because he trusts me because we've built a relationship on this. But if he's chewing a bone, we have enough control over our dogs that we can say, hey, free, get off your bed, come over here, give me it, sit. And we take stuff from our dogs. That's how we do it rather than go in. But we have enough control and our dogs know if mom and dad want the toy we're chewing, if they want the chew that we're chewing, whatever else, when they call me, I need to bring it or they will lose access to that. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. There was training on the front end with him so that we can give him anything we want. He can have a big, juicy marrow bone. And then when I want to take it from him, I'm not just going to reach in. And when he's gnawing on that thing, I'll just tell him to sit and he'll sit with it in his mouth because it's his bone. And then I'll put my hands on it and say, done, and he'll let it go, and and that's over. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't have a plan for those types of things, the dog should not have access to these things. Because the problem is, is the rehearsals are what really kill us, right? So, like, if the dog's done something stupid, you know, three times in its six-year life, that's fine. If the dog does that same stupid thing three times a day for six years, that's a lot of freaking repetitions. And the, so, the problem is you may know it, and you don't. You You're not changing it. anything. Well, yes. You work around yes, the trigger. Yes, that's even worse. But yes. then you have company come. Yeah. And all of a sudden, some kid is there and wants to pet the dog while he's chewing on his bone, and boom, all of a sudden, the accident yeah. happened. Yeah, so know? no workaround. So resource guarding, that is rationalizing it. I'm sorry. I don't care why the dog growled, snapped, bit, whatever. Just because it had a toy or a treat, it doesn't matter. Okay, um... I like the... Well, the handling was another one I was... Yeah, I wanted to go to that one next. So, my dog doesn't like it when. And this is just endless with the answers. Yeah, you could I have mean, a big, thick book on my yeah. dog doesn't like oh, it when. Oh, I, I literally wish I'd written things down over the years. But, you know, lifting its lip up, touching its left paw, t- coming at him from behind, anything. My Having dog doesn't... temperature with yes, the, the yes. Mo- and thumb And thermometer. this is this is the vets, right? Like, here we are. Here we are in fear-free, cooperative care. Like, here we are with all of that. If the dog doesn't like something, and I'm not putting all of that down. I know that there's a lot of good with those programs also. But if the dog doesn't like something and shies away from something, that dog needs to be worked through it, right? So if the thermometer is a trigger for your dog, then that is something that you should be working with with a professional to be able to safely lift your dog's tail and at least put something near its bum at first. Like these are things that if the dog just goes AWOL out of the blue, especially if you've raised the dog since a puppy and it's always been a trigger, but obviously if you hadn't worked it when it was smaller, it's getting worse and worse and worse as it gets bigger. You still need to work through that. Like this is enter the vets. This is their life. Oh, he doesn't like it when you lift his lip. He doesn't like it when you touch his ear. He doesn't like it when you do this, that, and the other thing. He doesn't like his feet touch. Too bad, too freaking sad. These are dogs. They are our family members. We need to teach them to accept these things. Well, they need medical attention. Yes. They need need to have their nails clipped. And the thing is, like, I just heard this um, the other day where they said, oh, this dog, we can't do the dog's nails. Before we got the dog, 
The dog obviously had a really bad experience with a groomer and getting their nails trimmed. Well, probably it did, but what I would define that negative experience as is that the dog fought to get out of doing it and succeeded. That yes. was the negative experience because yes. now it's learned anyone that continues to mess with me, I'm going to take it up a notch if they keep pushing me to stop them from doing it so that everybody stops doing it. And, uh, and the have, dog has a lot of wins that way also, yeah. you know, and, and I want to clarify something while we're talking about this topic, because this is a touchy topic nowadays in the industry of dogs. When Scott says didn't work him through it, that doesn't mean now that every single dog who is getting its nails cut, especially a dog that's going to be living with us long term or anything else, that doesn't mean that there's always this brute force that is applied to dogs that we train, that we own or anything else, right? It means that maybe they wiggle a little bit and we work through that, but then it actually improves over time, right? Like then nails become easier over time. They just accept things. It just becomes a way of life. So while it's like, oh, well, yeah, what's the groomer supposed to do? put the dog in a headlock and start sweating and everything else. No, but maybe you could try a muzzle if the dog gets snappy. As soon as everybody starts backing away from something, things creep up a little bit more. So when we're talking about these handling issues, we just had it with a cream golden a few months ago. The dog didn't want its temperature taken. It had something, it, I don't know why I even took the dog's temperature. Sometimes I take their temperatures just to make sure they're okay if I'm concerned about stool or something. Dog did not want its temperature taken. Literally freaked out. Like Scott, I said, hun, hold the dog, like lift its tail, freaked out, went to alligator roll. We just very calmly put a leash under his belly. I was able to hold him up with that and we took the temperature. It's not now that that dog's like screaming bloody murder and getting hit on a hundred. I remember one time someone asked me when I was talking about how I do all the dog's nails, they said, oh, what do you just use the remote and zap them when they're bad? Like, no, I would get bit in the face. No, I'm handling these dogs and I'm teaching them to trust me and I'm letting them know that things are okay and we're working through these issues. So if your dog has a trigger that the vet sees frequently, Try to find a professional who can help you work through that or a professional who can go to the vet and help your dog work through that because that is, that's essential. Medical care is essential. When you can't look at teeth and you can't look in between toes and you can't look underneath the dog at its belly and under its tail and stuff, that's a problem. And you shouldn't have to give the dog a general anesthetic to do the nail trimming. I mean, yeah. and a lot of people do that. And uh, I think that the general anesthetic is a dangerous thing you know, for any dog. Certainly for something as It's a risk. Anytime they go under general, there's a risk, yeah. But uh, when I think of working the dog through it, quite often it just means that we're going to spend three times more time to get half the amount done with this dog than with the average dog. So, and like a lot of people think a negative experience with nail trimming is that it cut the quick. Someone cut the quick on this dog and that's the problem just does our dogs every month. And we have more dogs than I care to admit. And inevitably, someone's quick. She's like, get me some flour, get me some of the styptic powder because I, I cut this nail a little too close. But the dogs, it's not like the dog's so traumatized we can never do nails again because they've already learned. they're not bloody murder. Like, it, yes, I'm not saying it's comfortable. I'm not saying aim for the quick, but... No, but it happens yes, sometimes. And, happens. and that's not now, oh, he can't have his nails done. No, he can have his nails done. He has to know that he can sit through it and he can live through it. And Scott's totally right. That was a good way that he um, said that. 
three times the amount of time for half the progress. So maybe we're going to spend the whole time that we would have spent cutting all the dog's nails just on one paw. But that means we're waiting for the dog to calm down. Stop we're, fighting. Yes, stop fighting. We're getting calm when we clip before we release the dog. And we're just going to wait them out. Like, we're just going to make sure, like, you can throw a temper tantrum all day long. And this is the thing about what we do, and especially when we came back to in-person training and everything else, like, we are the people that dogs that have said F you or no thanks or whatever to a dozen or two dozen or three dozen people maybe before us, and then they are able to work through it with us. Like we are the people that are turning those dogs around. We see this time and time and time again. So it's important to put the time in and to put the work in if you have an issue because you're keeping your vet safe, your vet tech safe. And it's important to be able to see in the dog's mouth and to see in its ears and to be able to handle the dog. These are important things. Yeah. We had one dog uh, that went home a couple of months back that we send progress videos to the people as we're working the obedience. So he'll sit down, come when called. We're sending all these videos to the people, not getting a lot of feedback, you know, uh, which I would prefer to get some, oh, that looks pretty good, but we weren't getting a lot of feedback. And then we send a video where Jess is clipping the dog's nails. The dog's just laying there passively, no muzzle. She clips all the dog's nails. They couldn't believe it. They're like, oh my God, how, all we want to know is how were you able to and, get that but dog's that's, nails clipped? But that's, in, that's nice to see. And that's important for people to know that it's possible. You know what I mean? And these things about these little triggers and, but he doesn't like that, but he doesn't like that. If there's going to be a bite or you're always looking at medications or general anesthetic, that's not safe. I do our dog's teeth on anesthetized. And I'm not saying I own bully breeds and the Pomeranian's teeth are not as nice as the other dog's teeth. I know little dogs are tricky and they're all wiggling and falling out. But that's a common thing. People put their dog under general anesthetic for their teeth to get done. And it it shouldn't be that out of the ordinary to be able to brush your dog's teeth, buy a scraper on Amazon and, you know, get that handled without having to do a whole procedure. It's cheaper and it's safer for the dog. So consider these things. Yeah. And you don't necessarily, I wouldn't recommend anyone start scraping their dog's teeth if they don't have any experience doing that stuff. But someone that knows what they're doing should be able to do that. It does require a lot of patience where you're you're just going to try and do one tooth or maybe a couple of molars and that's And there's it. zero reason why if you have a little puppy, especially with little puppy teeth, that you're not in there, you know, picking at their teeth, using a brush and everything else. Like if we get dogs used to this early, it's important. And it, and it just has to be done. I mean, and I, it really, that really hit home with me uh, when we did Max. We have an old dog in the house and just said, oh, his, his teeth don't look good. She's looking at the side. And he had distemper he, he had as distemper, a puppy. So his teeth are all messed up anyway. But there was this, he on was the side rescue. of this one molar, she's in there and she goes, no, that's plaque. And she gets in there and starts digging at it and digging at it. And this big chunk of plaque just popped off the side of no. his molar. And then there was, lo and behold, beautiful molar <laughs> underneath there, yeah. you know. But had we not done it, then it would have started gum infection. It yeah. would have just got worse and worse yeah. and worse. And you especially know? when the dogs get old, you don't need any extra bacteria, especially in yeah. the mouth. Yeah, that's the stuff that, yeah, it can get in their bloodstream and turn into all kinds of stuff. All right. Another thing that people often say is, well, that person came too close to me. Okay. So we'll go back to our Cousteau example. Cousteau is a good example of a dog that you had him at Cabela's. We've told this story before on the podcast a few years back. And, you know, somebody really wants to come up and pet Cousteau. That is Scott's point to advocate for his dog and say, no, like, I don't really want him interacting with people in public. Right. And the dog wasn't reactive at all. He sat there like a good boy. Yes. A hundred percent. But Scott had control of that situation. Now that's an extreme situation. Dog sitting next to Scott. Person is literally like able to shake Scott's hand reaching towards Scott. He's still managing that. 
A less extreme thing is the dog lunging to the end of its six-foot leash and biting someone and then saying, oh, well, that person got too close. Like, you guys, it is not the world's responsibility, right? As in the cats that live in your home, the other animals that live in your friend's home, the other dogs at the dog park, the other humans. It is not all of their responsibility to make sure that their actions are best catered to what your dog's needs are or its comfort level is. You need to have control of your dog on a leash. And if you have the type of dog who is not going to be good if someone approaches you while the dog is on a leash, you have to be able to speak up and say, you know, I don't want this dog to be interacting with anyone right now. I always use the term, no matter what dog I have out, we're working on not everyone being the dog's friend. The dog's too social. So we're just taking some time to just go into the world and just have it be more of a benign experience, less love, less excitement, whatever you have to say, but that's then your job to do that. If you cannot do that and your dog is a biter and you have them out in public, that dog should be wearing a basket muzzle in public. And even with that, a muzzle punch can still be aggressive and dangerous and there can be issues there. Yeah. And I would say that it's, it may not be fair that people don't listen to you and get in your dog's face and life isn't fair and tough shit. We have to train our dogs to the lowest common denominator that society has to offer us, which is someone that doesn't listen to us at all and walks right up on our dog's face. Or thinks face. they know better they or whatever know better. else. Yeah. Whatever we're doing isn't right. I mean, they could just say all kinds of things to, to push our buttons and, and trigger us as well as our dogs. And uh, it's just nice to have a plan if you have a dog that is a little reactive to do what's needed to be done. to Because it's all about, you know, I'm assuming you love your dog the way we love our dogs. I don't want anything to happen to my dog. I don't want some other idiot to cause me to have a big problem with my dog legally, you know, with the city or with, with um, a lawsuit, any of that kind of stuff. So I'm proactive in making sure that my dog doesn't have contact with people he doesn't know that could possibly go sideways in yeah. a way I can't control. Yeah, definitely. That's and then um, I think the last one that we're going to touch on today, is there any important ones that I missed that we talked about earlier that you're thinking about? No, I mean, just the you know, getting back to the main topic, uh, if your dog has some aggressive triggers, um, try to not just justify it and create this backstory or say, oh, it's because the person did that or because the kid got in his face. Be proactive in making sure if you know that there's certain things that bother your dog, try to work through them, prevent other people that don't know your dog from getting in that situation or other dogs. Yeah, that, you know, was, that was my that If was you have my another example. dog that if your dog, yeah. when my dog has a bone and he's on a bed chewing it, we have, if we have other dogs that are out in the house, they will be on their own dog beds. They're not going to be sometimes, well, that's not always the case, but we have enough control of all our dogs yeah, that they can walk by each other yeah. and it's not a problem. But if we had a, a pet dog in that didn't know any better, I'm not going to let him go in and climb on my dog's bed and say, hey, could I have that bone? <laughs> it's just not going to happen. The, you know? the, the answer would probably be no there. But my, my example was going to be the other dog stressed him out. And I think this is a common thing that we see in rescue too, right? Like there's a lot of emotion going on there. There's a lot of noise going on there. There's a lot of stress collectively that's happening. It doesn't matter if the dog that competed before your dog was frantic and stressed your dog out. It doesn't matter that the dog leaving the store, you know, barked at your dog and whatever, set him off. I don't care what other dogs do. It is not the other dog's fault. Unless that dog is going to run and clobber your dog and attack it to the ground, which is possible also, and you shouldn't be allowing, and you should be able to plan for. I only hike with one dog at a time for that reason, and I'm able to pick up any dog I hike all by myself. That's a 
thing that I have for my own headspace, but it's not the other dog's fault. Train your dog to a higher standard. Train your dog to a better standard. Whether you have a pet dog, whether you have a sport dog, whether you have a puppy, I don't care what it is. Train them to a higher standard than the rest of the community and then the rest of the world, and you'll have a lot fewer issues. I can guarantee you because we've been doing it for years. Well, you'll have less stress in your life, and that's the biggest thing I'm always trying to eliminate is well, my own personal and you'll stress. Have, and you'll have less aggression and less bullshit and less episodes and everything yeah. else. So if your dog has been aggressive and you've said, well, it's because of this or it's not his fault, catch yourself, do better moving forward, pull out a journal, record these instances, get on top of this situation, right? We only have a few weeks left of 2021. We're moving into a new year. You and your dog can be stronger and better than ever. Be assertive. <laughs> be assertive. Step up. If you know that this one neighbor that always comes over your dog friggin' hates, then control that, the situation. Yeah, you know, you see the, guy, the neighbor the guy's coming over again. Hang up the get... phone, throw the dog in the crate, yeah. act, take yeah. action. If you guys uh, missed last week's episode, it was our very first part of our series. We're doing a four part year long series with Noelle Nasca and her new Malinois puppy Inga. It's called um, Raising a High Drive Puppy. The first episode aired last week. If you haven't checked it out, you can check it out on any of our platforms. I also posted a video of bite work on our Instagram page. It's the canine healing one because Scott had mentioned that and I hadn't done anything with toys. And next week, we are going to have Larry Hansen on. I'm super excited yes, about that. Yes. Longtime friend of Scott. The queen of the pit bulls. <laughs> She's, I'm looking forward to, to seeing her and uh, talking with her. We'll have a lot of fun. All right, guys. We had a few weeks left of the year. We'll be here with you every week. Keep it quirky and have a great Wednesday. Bye. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.